What's up, everybody? This is Chase. I just want to say, you got a great episode coming up today. It is with Steve Maxwell. This guy has been on the web for a long time. It's like a campfire session with like a Buddha or a grandpa or both. I can't tell, but I loved it. Steph and I felt like, honestly, get a, get a blanket on and a cup of hot cocoa and some comfy socks because we're about to have a fireside chat with someone who knows what they're talking about. All right. But before we get started, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is small business accounting software designed for small businesses, especially for all you freelancers out there. Okay. By the way, their payments thing is excellent. You send an invoice to a client and then they can just pay you on the web right there. No more taking checks to the bank or anything like that, or taking pictures of your checks even. It all happens automatically. Uh, if you want to check out FreshBooks, you can get a month of unrestricted use. This is just for Fizzle Show listeners. So go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle and enter fizzle in the how did you hear about a section. Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting the show. Okay, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! Getting close, getting close to Christmas in real time here. I don't know when you're listening to this episode because we have episodes that go back over years and years, almost 250 episodes at this point, all of them about topics, questions, ideas that are interesting, nay, necessary for indie entrepreneurs, people who are earning a living doing something that they care about. All right, that's what we're about. We're about helping you create, start, and grow your full-time business to support yourself here at The Fizzle Show. And if you're new here, you can go to fizzle.co slash toolkit and get the essential toolkit of guides, uh, advice, including the 10 best, best episodes of this show that you just can't miss there in a little simple document. All right, moving on to today's show. Again, that's our gift for you, for you fizzle.co slash toolkit. I'm joined today by Steph. Say hi, Steph. How are you? Hey, everybody. So excited to be here. So excited. And uh, we have a special guest on the line because today we are talking with someone who has been doing digital business. I love this concept of the digital peasant kind of lifestyle, almost think of it as professional, full-time, independent, middle-class uh, living on his own for a very long time. And so we're going to hear some ideas about and some stories and some, some lessons from someone who's been doing this for a long time that can hopefully get us out of one of the things that I think we're going to really get out of in this, in this episode is this mindset that it's going to be easy. This is something that's all over this guy's story. Your job to, in, in creating your own business, it is not about making it easy. There is still going to be work to be done. That said, my life today is so much less stressful, so much less struggle bus than it used to. Steph, you seem like the kind of person who would say struggle bus, to be honest. You're just like, oh, that person's on the struggle bus. I don't know what that means, but I <laughs> yeah, like that. I don't know that how to budget. take that. <laughs> okay, so we're joined by Steve Maxwell. Steve, say hello and tell us what your website is that you've been running for so long. Well, hi, Chase and Steph. Um, uh, my website is baileylineroad.com. But as you mentioned, uh, I've been doing digital and uh, I would call it pre-digital independent entrepreneurial work since before anyone even knew what the word internet meant. So baileylineroad.com is my digital hub at the moment, 
but that hasn't always been the case. Uh, my work has has followed uh, the the developments in the world, the changes in the world that the internet has brought, and uh, it'll continue to do that too because the world we live in is changing very quickly. Um, so some opportunities dry up, other opportunities emerge, and uh, part of success is is learning to deal with that, to, to read the world and to respond accordingly. I love it. So let's go back to the beginning for you. Like, where did this start? You mentioned you started on a typewriter, 1980-something, and you were writing for uh, magazines at the time. Is that right? Yeah, well, my, my background is uh, as a cabinet maker and carpenter, uh, but in 1985, I decided I wanted to leave uh, the suburban Toronto place where I grew up. Um, Toronto's the, the largest city in Canada, so it's, it's pretty urban. I wanted to leave that and build a country life for myself. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, agreed, so... We bought this 90-acre property in the middle of nowhere on an island in Canada. Um, Whoa, so this was like, this was fueled by, I want to get out of this city, I want to get out of town and the lifestyle that we've got like this, I want to do the countryside living. You guys got into some acreage over there, and you, you I mean, this is, this is like, this is a bold thing to do. At the time, did you know how you were already going to be making your money independently? I didn't. Um, my, my approach was i'm not going to let a job determine where i live i'm going to decide where i live and then the job's going to have to follow me some sort of me <laughs> method of, of earning money is going to have to follow me so at the time it was all very nebulous i mean i thought well i can build furniture i've been doing that in the city uh, i can build houses i've been doing that in the city um, but i'd also like to grow things so you know pick your own strawberries and raspberries that was the general idea at the time, um, our, our main job at the beginning was to get a house to live in because this 90 acre property didn't have a building on it. So, um, I would, I would come up here to the Island. I would do everything I could building wise on a shoestring budget, you know, spend all my money on cement and basic building materials, and then go back to the city, live in my grandfather's basement rent free and then earn as much money as I could in the winter. So back and forth, back and forth like this. Um, but in uh, November of 1988, I, I got an idea. It's actually a pivotal moment in my life. There's a, a magazine at the time here in Canada, a woodworking magazine. It's since gone out of business. But I was really kind of appalled at, at how low quality it was. I mean, being a cabinet maker, I know about building and things, and just about every issue had mistakes in it. So I wrote a scathing letter to the editor that, you know, how, how dare she could put a, a terrible magazine like this together. I had it all stamped and signed, and I was just ready to drop it in the mailbox. I even had the door of the mailbox open. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to letting the letter go. I thought, you know, this isn't really the right way to do it. So I didn't, put the, I didn't post the, the letter. Instead, I wrote a letter... Uh, about an article idea that I thought would improve the magazine. I thought, what's this magazine writing thing all about anyway? Um, I, I had never studied journalism, but I had an idea for an article on how to sharpen tools. So I turned my scathing letter into a suggestion for an article. And a couple of weeks later, I got a nice letter back saying, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Go ahead and write it. You know, here's how much we're going to pay you. As it turns out, writing that first article 
was pay, paid me as much per hour as I was working, as I was earning as a commercial carpenter. So I mm-hmm. thought, hey, this, this looks good because I can do this from anywhere. Uh, that's really mm-hmm. how it started. Um, oh, wow. So this is like the first moment where you realized, oh, crap, I can get paid. I can get paid for writing and sitting on my butt, basically, and figuring <laughs> out, you know, and like writing something that is interesting about. Because, I mean, what was, the, what was the magazine itself that you were writing this letter to? It was called Canadian Workshop. And uh, it really gave me my start in the whole content creation thing. Which at the so time, you, and it was something that you're personally interested in workshop, uh, you know, wor- working with wood, all of this stuff that you were doing as your business. But turns out you had this kind of desire you didn't even know you had maybe to do some teaching and training other people and writing about this kind of thing. Would you, would, did you know at the time that you wanted to be giving that kind of advice and writing? Well, you know, it's funny. You, you can know things superficially without really mm. knowing them, so to speak, and you can know them deep yeah. down inside. All I knew at the time was that this was by far, writing that article was by far the most satisfying work experience I ever had. It, it wasn't work at all. It was just, it was pure joy. And I was delighted. Um, I, you know, I, I'm really very thankful that that I got my start with it, with this magazine. And, and actually, I... It wasn't very long before I was contributing to every issue. They were they made me technical editor, and I stayed with that magazine, well, until the internet killed it. Really, like the internet has killed a lot of paper magazines. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the the year that it shut down exactly. It might have been might have been two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven. I contributed mm. to every issue uh, for that time. And, and that was, that was how you were making now that before the internet, mm -hmm. right? I imagine there's a point at which you start taking your work online, but in this pre internet time, you were already doing, uh, writing for magazines like this. I'm imagining there was maybe, were there other magazines as well that you started picking up jobs for? Absolutely. Um, I mean, okay. So that, that was something that like started to pick up there, but at some point you transferred this over into creating your own sort of, it must what is it? Was it a website that you created first when you were thought about putting your own, like basically you're creating your own magazine, right? You're creating your own publication. Yes. Was that your idea? Uh, no, um, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see that far into the future at that stage. Got it. Um, I don't think anybody could. Uh, we're talking about the early 90s right now. All I knew for sure is that the most troublesome part of the whole process I was involved in was what I would call the export of my product. So hmm. I was typing on a manual typewriter. This sounds so archaic. <laughs> it, was, it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> typing on a manual typewriter, uh, I had to drive into town to get a copy because if the thing disappeared in the mail, then my story was gone. So the prudent mm-hmm. thing to do was to, was to go to a copy shop. You know, the, the town where we live is, is, is very town near where we live in is very small, only 900 people, but there was a photocopier there. And so I'd make a copy. I'd put it in an envelope, pop it in the mailbox. And then a week or so later, the editor would get it and the process would unfold from there. Now that's kind of a pain. Um, so in about 92 or so, 
um, in an effort to try to bring me into the production of the magazine at an earlier stage and help help to vet other people's work so that errors and things wouldn't come in, the editors suggested this really radical idea that I get a fax machine. Um, <laughs> so, so I, uh, you know, I thought, well, I, I guess I'll do that. Now, the crazy thing is, this is just an ordinary fax machine on a thermal paper. Didn't even have a memory. You know, if you ran out of paper, mm-hmm. you had to call again, you know, for another transmission. That fax machine at the time cost nine hundred dollars, and in today wow. in today's money, that's probably like fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars for a fax machine. But mm-hmm. that was leading edge technology, and and that let me plug into the magazine system more closely. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you know, it still was very cumbersome, but it was a direct connection that I couldn't achieve with, uh, with the regular uh, postal mail connection. But the trend you're going to see here, and it's the trend that has really allowed me to be successful all through, is to constantly keep my eye on the state of technology and to make sure that I'm close enough to the leading edge of it that I have some competitive advantage, or, or at least I'm competitive in some way. Okay, so let's pause there for a second, because I think that's a really big and important point that <clears throat> can be hard to apply to our lives easily, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, in our modern times, this might look like uh, what's happening right now. And Steph, chime in here with social media stuff. So Steph, mm-hmm. what do you see that's developing in social media that's so different than than what it was maybe like of a year or two ago. Yeah, what comes to mind for me is there's just been there's been a lot of clues and little hints being dropped. I'm thinking about Facebook in particular, but you could definitely lump Instagram in with this as well. That Facebook in general and the creators of Facebook and that you know people, the Facebook gods are trying to uh, take the platform more and more towards optimizing for video. So there is even some rumors that eventually Facebook is going to be entirely video based, and it's really going to be a platform for consuming almost entirely video content. So as if you walk that back to, I think what Steve's talking about here as a entrepreneur or, you know, small business, someone trying to make an independent living, you have to kind of try to forecast that a little bit and notice that, you know, for example, if you have a Facebook page or you're trying to advertise on Facebook at this exact moment, the time of this recording, video is perform outperforming any other kind of post you can possibly do. And it's important to, I think, keep your finger on that pulse, look at what other people are doing, experiment with different types types of media in your own, you know, efforts and like be able to actually see, wow, when I do this kind of broadcast, when I go live on Facebook, I'm reaching 3000 people instead of if I do a text post, I'm only reaching 200 people. And it sort of takes me back to one of our huge tenants that we've talked about probably a million times on the Fizzle Show is that whole idea that everything in your business is a hypothesis. And we are all researchers who are wearing our white lab coats with our clipboards, trying to just kind of test out different things and and look at the results and figure out what's actually worth pursuing, kind of tinkering around. But just this idea, I just love this. I keep going back in my mind. I have this image in my head of you, Steve, just snail mailing your typewritten manuscripts 
into a magazine office, what, what's going through the mind for me is just how easy it is for all of us to make excuses in our own businesses and our own pursuits. And we come up with so many reasons why we can't be successful. And mm. <laughs> this is just such a great example of like, if you did not allow all of that cumbersome stuff to stop you, it just has me thinking about how many times I've complained about my email inbox or something, which I can do from the comfort of my office chair. <laughs> I'm just really, mo- I'm really inspired by this image of you type, like typewriting and getting your manuscript and taking it into town and sending it on its way. It's just, that's amazing to think about and even crazier that it wasn't that long ago. It makes me wonder what's going to, what life is going to be like for business builders in 10 years. It's crazy. Totally. So it makes me, this, this question or this principle that you bring up, Steve, this idea of staying in the know about developing technologies, about watching it and being under, uh, being aware of it. I'm curious for you, Steve, where, what insight or wisdom you have about, about where it's, where, at what point you're just wasting your time learning about new technologies? Because Steph mentions video and live video in particular is something that all these platforms are pushing hard. It's starting to get a very, very popular as a way of communicating and connecting with people. But so is, for example, augmented reality or virtual reality. And those technologies might still be several years down the line. How much should I be investing in knowing about these sorts of things now. And I'm curious what you've learned about how much to learn. Cause I think there's a point at which maybe there's a diminishing returns. Is, it, is that true? Yes, Chase, it is very true. Um, every phase that I've worked through from manual typewriter to iPhone, hit a button, your videos on YouTube, every phase in that journey has had its own challenges and the challenge now is simply congestion. Um, I mean, when, when I, um, the, the first digital, new digital technology I added to what I did was digital photography. I was trying to send in photos that I shot on film and had developed and but mm. popped those in the mail too. And that was just way too cumbersome to be useful. So uh, a digital camera, when that became available, that's what I used. When I saw a uh, digital video come out, I thought, well, this is, this is perfect. This is going to change the world. I was a little ahead of the curve on that because digital cameras, digital, digital video cameras came out uh, quite a bit before YouTube and the popularization of videos online. So it took a, a little while for the world to catch up to me and, and for editors um, to want video. We're well and truly there now. So the question or the challenge at the moment is congestion because Mm. the barrier to entry for video, for instance, is actually really, really low. Um, There's very little stopping people from getting into producing video. My first digital video camera, I think I bought it in um, probably the late 90s. It cost five thousand dollars, um, and and now you can get uh, an iPhone that shoots better video, and you can you can edit right on it yeah. for you know a tenth of that price. So totally. Um, so w- what I'm finding success depends on now isn't so much about buying the best and trying to do too much. Because there's a lot to do. There's a lot you can do right now. 
it seems to me that it's coming around to the same thing business has always eventually or ultimately been founded upon, and that's human relationships and and human connections. Um, you know, out there, there are people with uh, commercial challenges and purse strings. And if I have an audience and I have the ability to communicate with that audience and they trust me, uh, and, and I, I uh, can um, buy into, um, say, products or services that I like, that I might personally use, and I can, I can help tell that story, um, then you put all those things together and you're going to have some kind of success. But, you know, there's, there's something in all this that I think gets missed a lot of times. It's one thing to have a big YouTube following or a big Facebook following or, or a following in any of the standard social media platforms. But it's not really your audience because the powers that be can shut you off at any time. Uh, YouTube channels are closed down or their videos are censored or, or um, the platform can change so that it doesn't really function as well for you as it used to. Um, all of, you know, all of those other sort of, I would call them ready-made venues and audiences have their place. But I don't think there's any substitute for an actual one-to-one connection between me and my audience um, through an email newsletter list. I know it sounds kind of archaic, but it's the only thing I know of where I really do own the audience. And, yeah. And if, yeah. So, so you're, I like, I want to reiterate this point really quick for people because some, this might be a new idea for folks that a social network, a platform can significantly change and alter their terms of service, the way that mm-hmm. the platform works. And this shifts dramatically the efficacy of that platform for your business. Now, for example, right now I do web, uh, I do, I do bag reviews on YouTube just as a side project because it just started happening a million years ago and it hasn't stopped because I have fun doing it. Now there's revenue being made through affiliate links there as well as YouTube advertisement. The reason why I'm getting more and more and more views on those web on those videos every month is because YouTube is showing them up in search results. When people are searching for a particular bag, Google is currently pulling those videos in as well on their search engine pages, right? And so because of that, those videos are getting exposure. But the moment that another video takes over mine, for example, or that YouTube decides to simply choose and use other videos to, to display as results there. That's a simple explanation of how these things can change and how it's built into the system that it would change over time. But there's other things where Facebook does this oft, oftentimes and Instagram and Twitter have, have done this as well. I think Twitter's gone algorithm, I think. I can't remember now. Where now in Facebook, you cannot... You cannot send out a message to everybody who follows you about, mm-hmm. I don't know what, the 120th of the audience is going to end up seeing that. Even though they've followed you, you'll have to pay money to get access and, and exposure to people beyond that. Even if they're really, really engaged, right, with your channel, they're still, they're, Facebook is still playing with that, how much they want to let any advertiser or business be seen, 
by the people without charging money for it. So these are examples of of times that building your audience on a platform like Steve's talking about can get you into trouble if you don't at the same time, and this is the advice you've heard Corbett Barr say forever, is you also have to have your home base that you actually own. And what Steve's saying here is that the real meat and potatoes of your own website, your own web presence is the email list. This is the point where you actually can send conversational dialogue back and forth between you and the customer. You can have a sale and get it in front of them and now they can take action on it and nobody can take that email away from you. I mean, arguably spam uh, filters and things like that, are, but those are those have always been there and will always be there, and don't be spammy. That's rude. Um, so I love this point, Steve. I think it's a really good one. What, um, I mean, where do we, like, I'm so curious, because Steve, what I'm realizing is you're such a, you're kind of a, I, I love that you're like ready here with this advice, because you're like, look at these whippersnappers who have been <laughs> who are doing all this stuff, right? And you've seen it, you've lived it, you've, you're a soldier in this war, you've been doing it for a long time, and you, here's my question, here's one question, personal question from you, is it possible to create a small business independently and support yourself and your family uh, to live the life that you kind of uh, intentionally want to live. Is it possible to do that over the long haul? Uh, yes, it is. Um, my um, when when we first moved to our island here, Manitoulin Island in in the Canadian province of Ontario, I was I was doing writing as I could. It was still. This is the the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. Um, I was doing writing as I could. Uh, my wife had graduated as a registered nurse, uh, so she was working part time. Our oldest boy uh, was born in 1990, uh, so at that time we would uh, basically we shared the job of earning enough money. At that stage, I would say it was probably. 30 to 40 percent well i'll call it digital income it was more like analog income if you know what i mean because it was still on paper or it wasn't really digital but it was uh, information entrepreneur income um and as time went on um our next child was born in 94 then our next one in 98 um when it came time for mary to make the decision about whether she was going to go back to work as a nurse or stay home forever. Um, we kind of sat down at the table and we made a decision together that she would go back. And no sooner had we made that decision. I mean, the moment we made that decision, she just started crying. So I figured, well, maybe that's not the right decision. <laughs> so hmm. we, um, we decided then and there that we would become more specialized in what we did. That, um, Mary would take care of the home and the children and, and I would take care of the money and let's just see how that works. So my income as a digital peasant has supported our family exclusively since 1998. Uh, we have five children now and I mean, we're not rolling in dough, but um, in terms of quality of life, and being able to meet our expenses, and the the really huge advantage of having all our kids grow up with two parents at home all the time, mm. um, 
I mean, that's just huge. That, that, that has been such a huge blessing for us. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, yeah, it, it, it can work. Um, you know, this kind of gets back to a, uh, a concept and I, and I've taught my kids this, uh, every kind of work in the world can be slotted into one of two categories. You can either work in the fishbowl, as I call it. So you're working inside of someone else's dream and you're relatively safe and protected in a fishbowl. There's no predator going to come around and snap you up. But the fishbowl keeper decides how much food you get. You know, he sprinkles in the amount he wants and that's all there is to it. Uh, or you can pursue a professional life in what I call the open ocean, which is, uh, you know, uh, out in the open ocean, there could be a predator around every rock ready to snap you up. Um, you're, you're going to, you're going to prosper in relation to how cunning and hardworking you are and creative. Um, but you also get to eat as much as you deserve to eat. And there's nobody there with a shaker of fish food sprinkling in at the top. So my uh, passion has always been life in the open ocean. Um, and, you know, to answer your question, yeah, so far it's working for us. <laughs> so far since yeah. 1998, anyway. I love that. So that's, that's 20 years. Yeah. Just about 20 years of doing this independent stuff. And, and Corbett, uh, who is our sort of resident guru of this, Corbett and myself have been pursuing independence, him, him for longer than, than I. I mean, he's been doing this for a little over a decade independently at, in some way, shape, or form. And I'm just a little bit below that. And this, what's interesting to me is just the long haul vision, because like you, Steve, I have a family, I have two kids and I have my wife and, and we, and I want to be a particular kind of father and Steph, you as well love being able to have your daughter at home. I mean, this is something that a lot of us are, uh, are, are excited about. And even if we don't have kids, we've got our lifestyle that we want to live in a particular way. I, I mean, obviously with a kid, you have this added neat, really neat, terrific responsibility on top of that. We're literally a being's survival and way of looking at life depends on how you love them yes. <laughs> and which way, which ways you support and nourish them. And, uh, and I love that project. I really, really love that project. And I love the way that my independent business helps to put me, I'm in my home office right now. And as challenging as that can be sometimes when my son's constantly breaking in through the door and going like, well, not understanding why I can't play with him right now. <laughs> those are kind of good problems to have. And I can fix those problems. I can, I can come up with solutions and design, uh, design things that he can understand in that. And so that, that's, I love that you bring that up. It's such an important point to this overall question of, you know, it feels like a lot of these decisions we're making as independent business people, there are pros and cons to everything. I really like that open ocean metaphor because there, you have to be a little more alert when you're independent. You have to be responsible independently yourself for your livelihood out here. Nobody else is going to, you know, take care of you. Now that doesn't mean you don't have family and friends who can't help. And I think it's important for us all to 
to, to take a little bit of the pressure off and, and realize that there's people in our lives that care for us. For some reason, most of us are really bad at assuming or expecting or anticipating that we can ask for help from people, but we really are, uh, you know, responsible for our own thing out here. So there's, there's, there's a lot of awareness you need to have, uh, when you're out on the open ocean, but I love this sense that like you get to eat as much as you want. And for me, the eating is not the money necessarily. Like the money is, is I, once it's above a certain threshold, I'm like satisfied. If it goes beyond that, cool. But as long as I, the other thing that is my favorite thing about eating is about just sitting around doing nothing while I eat. Right. <laughs> you know, my, whatever my leisure times are. I love that. I love the books I get to read. I love the way I get to adjust my lifestyle and tune and, and do things the way that I, that fuel energy and nice to me so that I'm not living every day like I'm like I'm working for some crap boss when I work for myself uh, I love that challenge so I don't know I'm 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 just liking that you brought that up the way you did Steve I Steph do you get the feeling that we're just sitting at the foot of like a Buddha right now just like <laughs> tell me more sir tell me more what are I you hearing it- over there Steph that, but I also see us in front of like a roaring fire or something. I don't know. This feels like just a very cozy cabin conversation. I don't know if it you guys get that. <laughs> it totally <laughs> but, does. Um, well, Steve, you. I want to ex- I want to explore one thing that uh, I was going through the letter that you sent to us, and it feels like there's some balance on the other side. So you've just described. I too love the analogy you just brought up of that being in the open ocean versus being in the tank, and I can see the little fish flakes coming in and someone else is feeding you and that's all you get to eat. And I think that that sounds really great and it's really um, exciting for people. And they're like, yes, I want to be in the open ocean. But in your letter to us, you brought up this one concept of you need to give yourself time to get the boxcar rolling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people listening are probably hearing your story and they're thinking, oh my gosh, he's living the dream. And he got to, you know, his wife got to stay home and they're supporting their five kids, but this didn't happen overnight for you. So can you just talk a little bit more about the time it took for you? What does it mean, this analogy of getting the boxcar rolling and how long it took for you to get there? Sure. Well, that that's a very important point. Um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to mistake a, a good idea and a good, I, a, a good approach and a successful approach for failure, uh, e- even though it's actually successful and it's just taking longer to grow than you thought. Oh, so hold on. Say that again. You're saying that it's easy to mistake what is actually a good approach as a failure mm-hmm. simply because it's taking too long. Did I hear that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I hope I said it the right way around. But uh, no, you did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the um, um, at least for me, you know, I guess we all see these email guys who you know they they earned two hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars while they slept and all that stuff. Well, I. Yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to learn how to do that. I, I haven't been able to figure that out yet. But for me, this whole thing has been like growing an oak tree, not growing a radish. Yeah. Um, so first article, 1988. I mean, that's going on 30 years ago. Um, after that, I was earning, well, these are in 19, in $1990, but still, um, maybe two or three or $400 a month for a couple of years. And then that maybe doubled, um, maybe tripled or quadrupled by the time I got to the mid nineties. Uh, granted you, I wasn't focusing on this full time because my wife and I were sharing the financial responsibilities at that time. But, um, 
I, I, I can't really see how I could have grown this faster. Um, that's not to say that, that, you know, people listening to us now need to give themselves 30 years to, to get it right. I mean, I've had it right for a while. It's not like I just got it right. Um, but you're going to have to give this idea some time to grow. Because first of all, you have to develop. You have to have a skill. You have to be really good at something. Um, there's a lot of competition out there in the world and, and the congestion of people trying to you know, fight their way into prominence online is um, it, it's just making that competition even greater. So you've got to get good. You've got to figure out what, what the, the marketplace wants. I mean, what, what you can do that's of value to someone else, because ultimately that's what, that's what it comes down to. When, when you, when you look at the money that you earned during a month, um, that's really just a reflection of how much value, how much real value you created for someone else. Value isn't what you think value is necessarily. In financial terms, value is what people are willing to pay. Um, and so that's one of the bottom lines to, to, to keep in mind. But th there's another concept here uh, that I, I find useful. Um, I haven't always worked this way. I mean, I have worked as an employee for people. And I don't know about you guys, but I have, I have never experienced an employment situation that wasn't draining way beyond what I had to expend to do the job. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I've never yeah. had a job as an employee where I felt eager to get out of bed and to go to that job. Uh, there's a kind of, for me, and it's not the same way for everyone I know, but for me, it, it just kind of put a blanket, a weight on my whole life. And so the mo a very powerful motivation for me has always been, well, you either learn to swim in the open ocean, you either learn to make your own dream work, or financial necessity will force you into someone else's dream. It's one or the other there, you know, until I become financially independent, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but it's either one or the other. Uh, and I've tasted life in the fishbowl and I do not like it. So uh, that's a big motivation for me. And yeah, no, this is fascinating. I like this a lot. And it's again, it's a, it's a helpful and necessary reiteration of that open ocean versus fishbowl metaphor, which is such a useful... Now, I'm actually curious on this. You said it's like growing an oak tree instead of a radish. Can you just tell me, just like in short, uh, what's the difference between growing an oak tree and growing a radish? And how does this... How should this affect how we think about growing our businesses to you? Sure. Well, <clears throat> um, I'm kind of a farmer at heart. I mean, that's why we moved up here in the middle of nowhere and we... We I'm starting to catch. I'm starting to catch that vibe. Sure. Too, by the way, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we pasture some beef cattle here, and and we grow gardens and do all kinds of stuff. And so I can put a radish seed in the ground, and, and in two or three weeks, I can be eating radishes. Um, mm. If I put an acorn in the ground, if I plant one in the fall, um, I'm not going to see anything until next spring. And even then, I'm just going to see this little toothpick-sized thing with leaves, it's going to look pretty insignificant. Um, but in time, it's going to amount to something. I mean, an oak tree is, is one of the, 
has one of the, the you know some of the hardest woods. It's one of the longest lived trees. Uh, it's a beautiful tree, but in the time it takes to grow one oak tree, I could have you know a, a couple of hundred harvests of radishes. Um, but you know, in the final analysis, I mean, radishes are fine as far as they go. But sometimes you need some oak, right? Um, yeah. So it's really about it's really about time and expectations. Does that make sense? It really does. Yeah, and I, I love I love the the timelines on those too. Like in two to three weeks, you can throw together a, a radish oriented business that that starts your sort of working the land and getting things going. I think there's a lot of value to be had in learning how to put together a quick business idea that just teaches you how to get a, your foot wet in this in this pond that Steve's talking about where you have to learn what the market wants. We have to learn the kinds of skills you have to develop in order to create a sales page, create a product that could be for sale, put a Facebook advertisement together to, get, to gain traction and grow an audience around an idea or something like that. So I love the idea of the, of uh, the difference in these, in these, ra- like in, in the time it takes to grow a real serious oak tree, it has, you've, you've got a few hundred harvests of radishes, which are, you know, which are delicious in their own way, but they can't keep you warm at night the way that an oak tree can, uh, fully right. grown. You right. Know? So, um, okay. I love this. I love this. Now, um, we're getting close to the end of our conversation here, Steve. And I guess I, what I honestly, um, what I'm hearing us talk about is, is perspective on, you know, on time and patience. I'm hearing us talk about value and I really liked your points about value and what a business is at its heart is creating things that people want and connecting them to those things. Um, and they're paying you as just an exchange of the value that they're receiving. These are some classic classic just basic business stuff which as for me as one of these you know modern day podcaster video you know course making business wannabe guru people some people look at me for advice on business stuff and i find myself again and again and again coming back to these essential bits like you are the difference between right, like, like like in some ways the biggest bit is this this open ocean versus fish fishbowl thing when you realize that you're never going to be satisfied in the fishbowl that you've never been satisfied in the fishbowl and the chances of you being satisfied there are going are so limited that you need to start taking life into into your own hands so to speak that's when it's like, all right, I even, even though it's scary to learn how to swim in the ocean, open ocean, I need to go learn how to swim in the open ocean, even if it takes me years to find out how to do that. Um, I love this at the heart of things because it's really the big why underneath us, you know, underneath everything, undergirding all of our efforts as entrepreneurs to, we have the motivation to do whatever needs to be done when we really truly realize we're doing it. We have to do it. Our family depends on it and it needs to be done. And I, that in conjunction with the patience thing and not being stupid for lack of a better term, it sounds kind of harsh, but it can be really, 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 uh, uh, unwise to put, uh, to shoulder a burden that is far too heavy for us too soon to make ourselves uh, make this fledgling business idea, pay all of our money right now when it needs time to grow that stuff. So there's almost this question that it's developing for me, for you, Steve, about 
if it takes a while to get something up to to a, an adolescent tree size, for example, where it can finally mm-hmm. support us at a ramen profitable income level, um, what is your advice, if any, for those of us who are trying to build our thing on the side while we work the day job? This sounds like something that you had to do for quite a while. And considering what you've seen and how you've, how you've grown your own business and how you've seen technology change, I'm curious, do you have advice for those folks who are slowly sort of tilling the fields on the side at the nights and the weekends while they're doing the day job? Well, I sure do. Um, we we could talk a lot longer about all these topics because we've really just touched on mm-hmm. things. But um, I, I guess first of all, you you have to realize that to create anything, you're you're going to have to make efficient use of your time. Um, you have to in in the development stage, so the time when you're working in someone else's fishbowl for that phase in the development of your idea, uh, you're going to have to forget what I call the fallacy of the eight-hour day. You know, uh, I've always told my kids, and and a few of the older ones have kind of figured this out, it's what you accomplish after 6 p.m. that's what what really counts. Um, Everything you accomplish up to 6 p.m., that's just what you have to accomplish. But if you want to enjoy some gains in an idea or a goal you have. It's what you do after 6 p.m. that counts. One of the huge problems, and, and I don't think, well, I haven't met anyone who really understands the magnitude of what's going on right now, but there is so much distraction in the world. I mean, this internet and the digital revolution that that lets people like you and I um, produce value independent of geography, that same opportunity on the other side of it is a monster. It's a monster Mm. because it's so addictive to take in the creativity of other people. I mean, we've all sat there, you know, you go to find, you you go to research something, you, uh, you end up on YouTube and the next thing you know, half an hour or an hour has gone by and you've watched you know, cat videos or something crazy like that. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it's a kind of digital narcotic. And, um, mm. I mean, I, I see it with some of my kids. Uh, I, I see that they have a much harder time buckling down and getting to productive work than my generation ever did. So you've got to work hard and you've got to be disciplined, especially during that phase when you're living inside the fishbowl and outside the fishbowl. Now, that said, I've got some other advice that may seem contradictory, but it actually goes very well with that. It's it's possible to spend a lot of time not working efficiently and not getting a lot done. That's certainly possible. But at the other end of the extreme, it's also possible to work too much. Um, I mean, I consider it absolutely essential for my long-term working stamina that I only work six days a week. I never, ever work on Sunday. And uh, there's, well, there's plenty of times that I, that I, I probably should in, on one sense. And because I'm enthusiastic about my work, 
every Sunday I feel like working, but I make mm. sure that I don't because um, if you don't have that little bit of unplugging and recharging time, I have found that uh, creativity suffers. And what we're talking about here, at least for me anyway, is harnessing my creativity and turning it into something that people will want and people will pay for. Right. So um, if I've got to write a video script, say, for one of the videos we're making, or um, I have to write a story on how to install a hand pump or build a greenhouse or something like that, um, the quality of it really comes down to clarity and turns of phrase and camera angles and all that stuff. It's just one creative challenge layered on top of another. But I know um, if I work seven days a week, it's not going to happen. I, I, I can keep it up for a while, but it's, it's not sustainable. You got to let the well refill. I found that to be essential. So when you work, work. Uh, and, when, and, and when that seventh day comes along, don't work. Because uh, you, you've got to have some time to just um, enjoy the fruits of your digital peasant lifestyle. Um, mm. And, you know, you see, when, when a person has a job, when a person lives in the fishbowl, there are boundaries to the fishbowl. I mean, you go in at eight, you come out at five, that's all there is to it. But there's a real danger for us who, who swim in the open ocean and, um, and we're enthusiastic. There's a real danger for that to take over completely, but it doesn't lead any place good. So, I mean, I didn't always know mm, this. I, a, I discovered this by experience. Yeah, this is fascinating to me. I really like, again, this metaphor is just really sealing the deal for me because that's such a great, that's such a great uh, uh, little addition at the end there that in a fishbowl, you have boundaries. In a fishbowl, it's like, hey, listen, nobody's in the office at 6.15. Right. Everybody's gone, right? Because they don't have to be there and they don't want to be there, right? So you're you're forced to go home and go do family stuff and go figure out, go do what you choose to do with your evening. But when you're swimming in the open ocean, you can swim out as far as you want when you're, when you got to, you know, when you can take it, you can go discover up and down the shores, but it doesn't necessarily lead to something good for you, something that you will enjoy. So there's this dialogue that's happening between development of new, more uh, effective, more nourishing uh, sort of systems of business or, or, you know, value models or something like that, whatever we want to call it. We can develop new stuff and create things for new technologies that are coming. But that's in tension with your ability to be filled up and be relaxed and have that clarity of mind that Steve's talking about when he's talking about what's necessary for doing creative work that other people will actually want. Um, I really, I really love that. Again, it's, you're crushing it, Steve. <laughs> Just <you>. crushing <laughs> it. I love this. But I mean, and so in my, in my, I used to be a big time religious dude and I studied the, the, I went really deep on the biblical studies. I went deep on the book of the Bible and studied this thing in its ancient languages and tried to get into what are the actual terms. And one of the massive concepts in there is this concept of Sabbath. And this is something you see in a lot of wisdom literatures, not just the Hebrew and Christian backgrounds, but all over the place, this concept of rest 
this concept of like the Chinese have it in the yin and the yang. Yang is this, you know, aggressive development, masculine energy. Yin is this re restorative, uh, peaceful, feminine energy. And these things are in, in balance with each other. And you can tell, like Steve, you probably learned firsthand, and like I certainly have, what, when you start to learn that you've gone too far for, you've gone too hard for too long, basically, and that you haven't restored enough, your body, your business, everything starts telling you that um if you're paying attention to the right things because the challenge with the open ocean is there are stuff there's things in your business that will still be sitting there going like you could do more you could do more you can always swim further you can always explore more um and that is a hard that is a hard thing to learn the wisdom of and i like this example steve of just i think it's like it's funny that it's the one of the most ancient pieces of advice we have that like hey one day a week don't do anything one, one, you know, one week a year, don't do anything. Once every seven years, let the, let the fields lie fallow exactly. <laughs> because it's good for the soil. It creates more nourishing activity in the soil. That's going to grow your crops stronger and stronger and better and better. And, uh, you know, that, that concept in and of itself is, is, is a hard one to put into effect for most of us, especially when we've got a hundred emails in our inbox right now that just got sent to us over the course of the morning since we cleared out our email this morning. Yeah. Right. The way the, the how fast everything's going and how many Facebook posts you're going to miss and how much this, that, and the other, because as you said, that addictive, that addi how addictive it is to, to drink up the creativity of other people. Steph, is there anything else that we should, uh, we should ask of Steve before we close this out? Is there any burning question you have still? I don't think I have any more burning questions. This has been a really fun one. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously the, the wisdom that you gain over doing this for you know 30 years is palpable. So I just want to thank you, Steve, for coming on and sharing with us because I know our listeners are really resonating with this and it's, it's really helpful. Well, yeah, Steve, this might have to be the, uh, the, just the first of many, of many guest appearances of, of uh, the guru, Steve Maxwell, on, on our podcast. Well, thank you. It's been my privilege. I'd love to come back. Yeah, well, I, I, re I really do value your, your voice here, Steve, and, and you taking the time and, and for reaching out to us in the first place saying like, hey, let me, let me, let me uh, share some things that I've learned about business in 20 years of doing this independent stuff. So, Steve, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. Well, thank you. My privilege. Thank you very much. All right, y'all, that is it for episode 245 of The Fizzle Show. Show notes for this amazing episode at fizzleshow.co slash 245. Check out there and, you know, let's, I'll put Steve's Twitter or something over there. Give him some love. Find it, fizzleshow.co slash 245. Leave us a comment. Let us, let us know. Uh, let us know how swimming in the open ocean is going for you. <laughs> I love that metaphor. Okay, listen, here's an iTunes review from Donovan Kay in the US of A who says, What I wish my college courses were like. The free podcasts are worth every dollar I spent on my higher education. The courses and community interaction available to full members is worth so much more. That's awesome, Donovan. Thank you so much for the kind words and the love. Uh, listen. If you're, uh, if you're new here and you don't know, you should check out the courses over at fizzle.co. There's some, there's some seriously amazing stuff going on over there where you can ask questions, you can get feedback, 
You can uh, take courses that will teach you how to do important things like get new traffic to your website, like update your story for your elevator pitch, like uh, tune up your website. All right? So check that out. And you get five weeks for free when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. That's fizzle.co slash try five. Start making a full-time living from your indie business. All right, guys. I've been Chase Warman-Reeves. I will talk to you later. Find care. Take care. Serve hard. And dig in. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.